0: Welcome to episode 493 with my guest, you, the listener. We're going to read your responses to surveys, uh, some emails, and uh, and of course I'm going to talk about myself and Gracie's going to interrupt me and uh, I'm going to have a panic attack. <laughs> my name is Paul Gilmartin. This is the Mental Illness Happy Hour, a place for honesty about all the battles in our heads from medically diagnosed conditions past traumas and sexual dysfunction to everyday compulsive negative thinking. This show is not meant to be a substitute for professional mental counseling. I'm not a therapist. It's not a doctor's office. More like a waiting room that doesn't suck. Think of a waiting room with uh, just lavender candles and <laughs> some other Sedona, Arizona stereotype that I can think of. Uh it's, In my support group this week, somebody said something that I hear all the time. Uh, They said, "I, I wanted to kill myself, but I didn't have the courage. And, you know, I always think to myself, you know what courage is, is continuing on. Courage is deciding to get out of bed when you can't force a smile or feel any joy and say, yeah, I'm going to do laundry for the 4000 fucking time. That to me is courage. I've been having some issues with uh, over oversleeping. I always tell myself, I don't know, you just set an alarm, I'll just naturally wake up before noon. <laughs> Today, I open my eyes, and I go, it feels like about 10:30. No, 2:35. It, it was hard to, it was hard to not get down on myself when I when I did that. But you know, it's sometimes our body needs rest. But my to do list is is hanging over me, and I'm sure you guys have felt this sometimes when you're depressed. Your your to do list just feels like a fire breathing dragon. It's like Uh, I just, I cannot get off the couch. I cannot imagine going and turning off the faucet in the other room. I'm just going to, I'm just going to let the house drown and then file a claim. This is from the Love Survey, and this was filled out by Jenny. She writes, I love when I get naked in front of my boyfriend and apologize for having a big belly. He replies, telling me that I am gorgeous. I've had kids. I have a beautiful body. Then I go home to my husband and tell him what my boyfriend said. And he looks at me and says, I told you so. I love this polyamorous journey we've gone on. Well, thank you for that. That, uh, don't get, don't get surveys like that every day. This is an email that I got from uh, Jonathan, and he writes, I am writing to you about your episode with Esther Park. I'm a trans guy in my mid-20s, and I have a long history of people trying to deny my gender. Not only did my parents disbelieve me, uh, and if I haven't mentioned, Jonathan is a trans man. Not only did my parents disbelieve me, my mother telling me that that didn't exist, and I could just be a masculine woman and my father outright shouting me down because he thought i was quote abnormal but my therapist back then acted like my self-perception was dubious like i had to understand that my family refused to acknowledge my identity and violently imposed their own perceptions on me and told me to quote lower my expectations so esther said that some of us may, quote, confuse our roles for our identities. That really just reminded me of how demeaningly I was treated back then. I was told I couldn't possibly know, know myself at such a young age. I was 13 back then. I was told I just had to try to continue living as my own gender. I was told a lot of horrible things, such as that having romantic and sexual relationships as my assigned gender would, quote, fix me. People around me treated me like my existence was a joke. In the end, I went back into the closet until I was 19 and developed what now feels like a rift in my identity where I split from my formerly clear self-perception as a trans man. And have had to spend the last years of my life working through heaps of shame and trauma surrounding it to be able to live with myself even after i came out a second time and decided to transition that experience of the denial of my own identity haunts me it angers me when people who are not trans psychiatrists or not think they know more about us than we do I think that she makes a good point about our value as people being intrinsic, but I think her opinion on trans youth and children just doesn't sound very informed. I was glad that you contradicted her on it, because as I see it, it really is more about more than one's, quote, role. My gender never was about anything to do with my role. It was about how I wanted to be with myself and in my own body. And I was denied that aspect of myself by almost everyone around me when I was younger. So now I have to recover the stability of my own sense of self and therapy. I don't want this to happen to any other trans people. Sincerely, Jay. Ah, thank you for that. Oh, man. There's so much that I, I get to learn and experience doing this podcast. You guys go so deep on your your emails and your and your surveys, and as heartbreaking as it is to hear some of the stuff that you guys have gone through and are still going through, um, it gives me hope that that a community is forming uh, around wanting to live in a more compassionate communicative emotionally and mentally healthy world this is from the love survey filled out by psycho mom she writes I love my dog she saved me from a deep depression I was in last summer we got her when she was eight weeks old and we really bonded she will come up to me put her paws in my lap and look at me in this certain way that says she wants to be held She settles down in my arms, and I rock her like a baby. Oh, I can hold her like that for 20 minutes or more, just like I used to do with my kids. Her kids got old, and she had to put them down. Nothing fills me with more joy. Her name is Sophie, and she is half Maltese and half Havanese. Hello to Gracie. Gracie says hello right back. Gracie is out in the yard right now, and it is just a matter of time until she goes on a barking fit. This was. This is a love survey filled out by somebody who uh, refers to themselves. They use the name, I wish Paul was gay, and then a smiley face. Um, I love acoustic singer-songwriters singing in multiple part harmony. Oh, I do too. That is such a great one. Examples include clips from the Newport Folk Festival of Dolly Parton, Brandi Carlisle and others singing Eagle When She Flies and the guys from The Shins and Fleet Foxes singing Sweet Judy Blue Eyes. Oh, uh, that is so good. There's a video of uh Brandi Carlisle singing uh Helplessly Hoping uh, on the Howard Stern show and it is it's a cover of a Crosby Stills Nash song. It is so so awesome. And uh I also love the pandemic at home performances from Sean Colvin, Rufus Wainwright, the Indigo Girls, and others. Thank you for those. And I will get back to you if, if I uh, decide that I am gay. This is a shame and secret survey filled out by a guy who calls himself, What Am I Doing? He identifies as straight. He's in his 30s. He says he was raised in a slightly dysfunctional environment. He's never been sexually abused. He has been emotionally abused. He writes, Just bad with relationships. Had a bad breakup years ago that led to being in an affair with a married woman as the rebound relationship. Both of those were just awful on their own and back-to-back almost unbearable any positive experiences both women showed me a lot of compassion and we had fun but eventually both relationships were awful and i think about them at times darkest thoughts i hate that i'm in my 30s and have spent so much time ignoring the dating part of my life now that i find someone i find now that i find someone i find really interesting i don't know how they feel and i can't get out of my head about it I just found someone that I love talking to, but I have no idea if she thinks of me that way. This is high school all over again. I keep thinking I'm fucking this up or she's into someone else and I let it shape my mood. I hate that I can't control my feelings and I'm so emotional. I think that I'll be alone forever and I wish I could just die now. It would be so much easier than all of this anxiety. You know, um, I, I am i am not... Uh saying that you are a, a love addict, but some of the things that you described are characteristics of love addiction, and to find out whether or not that would be um, a support group or uh, therapy to uh, help you deal with this stuff. There's a book by... Um, oh, my God, why am I blanking? It's called... Uh, Pia Melody is the is the author, and it's called Facing Love Addiction. Um, you, might, you might be... Uh, benefit from checking it out. Uh, Darkest Secrets. I hadn't seen my therapist for three months and was contacting her to make an appointment. That's how I found out that she had moved her practice out of town and I hadn't talked to her in so long. I didn't know. I couldn't believe it. I felt like deep down nobody really gives a shit about anything but their own lives. Why do I even get up in the morning? I hate that I'm so emotional and wear, wear my heart on my sleeve. This sucks. Sexual fantasy is most powerful to you. I would have had a fun answer for this earlier. Now it would just be someone to be there for me to hold and know that they love me. We don't even have to have sex. I'm so lonely, oh, buddy. I'm sending you some love, man. It, feeling lonely, especially when you're around other people, is one of the worst feelings. Anything you'd like to say to someone you haven't been able to? To her, I really love talking to you and I know you have things that you're going through. I'd love to be there for you. If not, I understand and I'll leave you alone, but you're the most interesting person I've met in a long time and I would love to be with you now. What if anything do you wish for? A way to calm my mind, but it doesn't seem like I can tonight. Have you shared these things with others? Yeah, one of my close friends. He's really positive and a good listener. I'm thankful for him, but I can't get out of my head right now. How do you feel after writing these things down? Sad. Just sad. I ignored having romantic feelings for so long that I think times like this are why. But you can't help who you're attracted to. Why is this so tough for me? I'm going to venture a guess that it's not about that person, that, that you're obsessing about. I mean, you don't even really know that person yet. You know, as one of my friends says, the first six months of a relationship, you're really just meeting each other's representatives. And it's, you know, one of the things when when we're afraid of of intimacy, and we're either all in or we're running away, is we project our own fantasies and expectations on the other person. And then we let that rule our lives emotionally. And it's a it's a really tough thing. Um, anything you'd like to share with someone who shares your thoughts or experiences? Talk to someone if you can. Thank you for sharing that, man. Thank you for sharing that. You are definitely not alone in that. And I hope you find some... I don't know, recovery, peace, joy. This is an awfulsome moment filled out by a guy who calls himself Soggy Socks. And he writes, a while ago, I bought a silicone vagina. Having been in a depressive episode for several years now, it's become my sex life as I couldn't afford to date even if I was emotionally available. Uh, And who dates someone that hardly leaves the house anyway? I can't always spring for lube, to use with it and so I started making my own from cornstarch which works fine but can be a little goopy and sometimes a bit will fall out and end up in my boxers or on the bed. I share a house with a couple of people and this afternoon found myself home alone. While in the kitchen one thing led to another and I ended up cooking up a fresh batch of lube. Oh, there's nothing like a summer day cooking up a fresh batch of lube. Windows open uh which i took back to my room to use with my rubber lover as i was done my boxers were a bit of a mess so i took them off and put them in the washing machine with a couple of other items but didn't set it off as i intended to get the rest of my laundry and do a full load after taking a shower i sat down at my computer computer and completely forgot i hadn't finished loading the washer and my soggy boxers were still sitting in the bottom of the machine Cut to my housemate coming home, going to the machine and taking out the soiled and damp-feeling boxers to put her own washing in. Hearing the machine open and realizing my mistake, I immediately jumped out of my chair and ran to the laundry to warn her, but was too late. Sorry, I left something filthy in there, I said. To which she replied, oh, that's okay, I didn't touch them much. Sorry, that sounds awful. She apologized for touching my muggy, soggy, gelatinous, shame-filled boxers. I went back to my desk and almost had a panic attack because of the shame spiral that overcame me. At least I didn't get caught wanking again. (laughs) Oh, thank you for that. Oh, God. this, This might be my favorite survey that you guys fill out. The love's... Survey, the happy moments, survey, and the awfulsome moments, Uh, absolutely my favorites. This is uh, also an awfulsome moment filled out by a woman who calls herself Dr. Slut. so you know this is brimming with self-esteem and positivity. I have always enjoyed listening to this podcast and it makes me feel so less alone and I just find so much calm in your voice and clarity with my own struggles amongst the stories of guests and listeners. When I was preparing to go to Planned Parenthood to have this surgical abortion, uh, I happened to be listening to one of your episodes to help ease my mind beforehand. It happened to be episode 17 of 2020, uh, the Pandemic 4 episode. And you made a joke about buying fetuses by the bagful from Planned Parenthood in the moment I had a brief flash of sadness, but also couldn't help thinking that it was the world's way of trying to add some dark humor which I adore to a difficult situation. Thank you for all you do and all those that you help myself included. Oh, thank you for that. I always worry when i when I say something really dark that is it's, it's really going to negatively impact somebody, but I I don't want to change who who I am. And by the way, um, if you haven't been to Planned Parenthood in a while, they are limiting it to one bag full of fetuses per household. So just know that before, before you go there. This is from the Love Survey filled out by Anxious Potato, and they write, I love the expression my cat makes when you scratch his cheeks in just the right way. It's this look of pure contentment and bliss that I hope to experience someday. That oh, that's beautiful. Thank you for that. This is from the racism survey filled out by a woman uh, named Sarah. Uh, she is Hispanic, and she writes, In several instances, I watched my mom get bullied for her accent. Her accent in public places when I was a little girl. My father is still always underestimated because of his accent. The moment he speaks and his accent is heard, his words are quickly devalued. Uh, I love seeing them stand up for themselves. My dad always says, my English isn't always perfect, but I'm not stupid. Spanish was my first language growing up, and as my English improved, I loved joining them and shutting down ignorant racists that somehow equated my parents' imperfect English with their intelligence. I loved listening to them go on and on and waiting for the right moment that the quiet, college-educated daughter by their side could step in and use her proficiency in English to, quote, school others." I'm 28 years old now, but I feel incredibly protective of them, especially when we're out in public and someone takes offense to us speaking in Spanish in 2020. Uh, I find so much beauty in the many different cultures that exist in this world, especially in our country. It's unfortunate that we still live in a time that several people do not look at it in the same way. Uh, I would say more than several people. Sadly, uh, a large amount of people. This is from the Love Survey filled out by aspiring, starving artists. And they write, I love it when I'm bantering with my best friends and I know that the horrible things we say are out of love instead of hate. That is a good one. When I hang out with my comedian friends, there's just this... Um, I don't know. There, I, when comedians get together, there's always this this kind of unwritten contest to see who can who can cross the line the most or say the the darkest thing. And uh, there's something very freeing about being able to do that. This is from the uh, sexual abuse or violation of a young male by an older female survey. I don't think the name of that survey is long enough. Uh, He's a male in his 30s, identifies as straight. Uh, And the name he filled this out under was No Wonder I'm Depressed. He writes, I was heavily spousified and emotionally incested by my mother and shared her bed till I was 12. When I was younger, she used to make me give her massages and was often naked around me. I remember there being lots of tickles and cuddles and sleeping cuddled up, but don't remember anything worse than that happening. Well, that is a lot. At age 11, I was prepubescent and not interested in girls in any other way than kids usually are. My friend's older sister made me touch her while we slept in the same bed. She was 14, and the most I remember about the incident was that I froze up and felt wrong, like I wasn't doing something right, but more that I was wrong as a person for freezing up or something like that. At 23, I got into a heavily enmeshed codependent relationship with a 35-year-old woman that lasted about six months, but could have been up to a year if you count the breaking up, but still together time. I didn't feel much uh, in this, as in all relationships in my early 20s, and didn't know what I was feeling anyway, and that's really common with somebody who has experienced any type of incest in the home. when you are trapped with that person as your caregiver who has authority over you and you can't escape, finding ways to numb yourself, uh, whether it's just dissociating or escaping into some type of cul- compulsive behavior, uh, that is re- a really, really common way of that, that brain trying to cope with, with a awful environment. Uh, I've told therapists, but I don't know how much my friend's sister affected me, and I haven't processed it. I know that I do feel some anger around it. My mom is a whole other issue that I think has has poisoned relationships for me my entire life, as well as all the personal invalidation and objectification that lets a kid know their parents' needs are more important than their own and that they can't have any needs anyway. What feelings come up thinking about this? Anger, anger and sadness. Do you feel any damage was done? Lots. My mum's upbringing will take a lifetime to heal. We know I think he means his upbringing by his mom. We no longer have a relationship as I cut her off after I realized she was more interested in controlling me than helping me make my own way in life. That was 10 years ago. Good for you. And I personally know that for me, that was about eight years ago that I cut my mom out of my life as painful as that was. I I had to do that. And uh, it, it was one of the most difficult things I have ever, ever been through in my life. I'm sure my friend's older sister was probably being molested herself as I know she became sexually active quite early. Uh, I have, I had MILF fantasies regarding my neighbor when I was a teenager and I'm turned on by MILF gilf porn. Gilf is a uh, grandma's uh, or grandfather's that I'd like to fuck. Um, though I am not obsessive over it. Thank you for that. And I'm so sorry that you've had to experience that stuff. Uh, A book I often recommend is called Silently Seduced by Kenneth Adams. And it is a great, great book. And uh, if you email me privately, uh, I also have some suggestions for a support group around people who have had uh, incestuous, whether it's emotional or not, uh, mother or female caregiver. Um, and, you know, on, on, on the topic of promiscuity, um, which is the way a lot of people react to having been sexually violated, um, a lot of times we think that it's simply a morality thing. And while there is some morality to how our effect, our actions affect other people, the root cause of the promiscuity has more to do with the fear of intimacy, uh, a lack of self-care, unhealed trauma, and a desire to control our feelings instead of talking and processing them. That, that has been my experience. This is from the Love Survey filled out by Crazy Frog, and they write, <laughs> I love this one, I love vandalism. <laughs> the night sky, hammocks, Boba tea, my dog, going on walks with my boyfriend, watching my fish eat cucumbers, thrifting, cinnamon toast crunch, my best friend's house, being on call with my friends all day while I do schoolwork because of the quarantine, opening new Apple earbuds, green shag carpets, getting Slurpees at the 7-Eleven on campus with my friends and walking to the library to play Minecraft, good morning texts, and when people write out i love you instead of i love and the letter u or i l y weed and how my hair looks after i take a shower those are awesome thank you thank you for those the michelle obama podcast will
1: debut exclusively on spotify on july 29th the series will bring listeners inside the former first lady's most candid and personal conversations showing us what's possible when we allow ourselves to be vulnerable to open up and to focus on what matters most. My hope is that this series can be a place to explore meaningful topics together and to sort through so many of the questions we're all trying to answer in our own lives, Michelle Obama said. She continued, Perhaps most of all, I hope this podcast will help listeners open up new conversations, and hard conversations, for the people who matter most to them. That's how we can build more understanding and empathy for one another. Episode subjects will focus on the relationships that shape us, from siblings and close friends to parents, partners, mentors, and to our own relationship with ourselves and our health. Joining the former First Lady will be an array of special guests, including Marion and Craig Robinson, Conan O'Brien, Valerie Jarrett, Michelle Norris, and Dr. Sharon Malone. Listen free at Spotify.com slash Michelle Obama
0: we are sponsored today by Squarespace. I love Squarespace. If you've never built your own website, Squarespace is a great tool to do it. Uh, I've done it with their, uh, their what would you call it, their tools, their platform. Uh, it's super simple, very intuitive, drag and drop, and I couldn't be happier with it. So if you're looking to start a new business, showcase your work, publish content, sell products, whatever. Squarespace is the tool for you. They got awesome templates. They have an e-commerce functionality that lets you sell anything. It's optimized for mobile right out of the box. Buying domains is really simple. And if you need any help, their 24-7 award-winning customer support uh, will help you. So try it. Squarespace empowers millions of people, from designers to lawyers, artists to gamers, even restaurants and gyms, and they help turn great ideas into something real. So head to squarespace.com mental for a free trial, and then when you're ready to launch, use the offer code mental to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. That's squarespace.com mental and use offer code mental. One of our sponsors for today is BetterHelp.com Online Counseling, and they are awesome in a word. I've had such a positive experience using them over the last couple of years, and It used to be that they could only help people who were 18 and over, but now they can help people who are also between 13 and 17 as long as there's parental consent. And so if you go to betterhelp.com slash mental, make sure you include the slash mental so they know you came from this podcast. Um, You will be directed to teencounseling.com. And basically, the teen completes the questionnaire and then they're prompted to send a message to their parents to obtain consent. Uh, they match you, uh, the teen, up to a counselor and then facilitate communication between the parent and the counselor. And then once the parent is comfortable, they provide digital consent and then the communication becomes private one on one between the teen and the counselor. And it satisfies all legal requirements in all 50 states. And they have 600-plus counselors who are focused on working with teens. So again, betterhelp.com slash mental. Um, and it is, uh, it is a great thing. This is from the Memorable Vacation Arguments Survey. And this is filled out by GLORA and she's a female in her 20s, and she writes, This vacation was pretty much doomed from the start. A week and a half before I was set to embark on a 10-day cruise with my live-in boyfriend and his workmates, I broke up with him. I wanted to opt out, but he assured me (laughs) all would be well, and that he really did want me to come with him despite us being newly separated. How, How could this go wrong? I should have trusted my gut. My ex is an alcoholic, and he stretched the unlimited booze package that we purchased further than I think that cruise line has ever seen before or since. Each night, he coerced me into martini after martini, assuming, I guess, that eventually I'd succumb to the inebriation and fuck him right there in the middle of the casino, surrounded by unhappy-aged white people. Unfortunately for him, no amount of booze could make me unsee the truth about him, so I'd head to bed by 10 o'clock every night. Almost every night, he'd get in around 1 and spend hours yelling, literally yelling uh, in his sleep while I fumed on the ground with a pillow pressed against my head. There were numerous theatrics worthy of delving into, but his piece de resistance came on the last night of the cruise when his boss, his workmates, their girlfriends, and myself all gathered around a table for the fanciest meal of the trip to share stories and enjoy our last day on this hell ship. We waited for him to arrive, and when he did, he was almost incoherently sloshed. After some awkward conversation, one of his workmates joked that he seemed to be pretty drunk. Despite having just ordered a huge plate of prime rib, which he had been looking forward to since uh, we left for the vacation, he abruptly stood up and stormed out of the restaurant. No one went after him. We enjoyed our meals without him, discussing how we felt bad for him and wished he would just relax and enjoy with us. When we were done, his boss and I decided we wanted to get his dinner packed up and bring it to him because we truly did feel bad about his feelings being hurt and we wanted him to enjoy this dinner we had been looking forward to for so long. The boss and I trekked up to the 13th floor, and I gingerly entered our room. He was in there, as I hoped. I brought the still warm meal over to him on the bed where he was half passed out. I stroked his back and told him we had brought him his dinner and tried to urge him awake. After a few moments of this, he suddenly bolted up and with crazed eyes yelled, Is this what you want? and proceeded to grab fistful, fistfuls of prime rib, mashed potatoes, gravy, and peas and rub them all over his face, ripping pieces of prime rib with his teeth and spitting them on the floor. The next day, he didn't know why the bed sheets were stained brown. <laughs> oh. oh, I hope, I hope he is getting help for his, his drinking. It is so. As speaking as somebody who is in recovery from alcohol and and drug addiction, it is so hard for the addicted person to see the truth. Reality is so warped by their alcoholic or drug addict thinking, and they think the world really is turned against them, and they're. Full of self-pity, refuse to take responsibility, but they can change. And, and I hope that he hits a bottom that, that opens him up to getting help. This is from the Shame and Secret survey filled out by a woman who calls herself K.D. Graham. She identifies as straight. She's in her 30s. She was raised in a totally chaotic environment was the victim of sexual abuse and never reported it, as well as some stuff happening that she doesn't know if it counts. She writes, Aside from not saying no to multiple sexual partners, even though I really didn't want to engage in intercourse, my mother subjected me as a small child to her own sexual encounters by doing it next to me while I, quote, slept or was nearby. She also brought me to several of her partner's homes where she was raped or abused with me there. Oh, my God. She's been physically and emotionally abused. My father was a harsh man who had very little patience for my emotional expressions, and I spent my entire childhood walking on eggshells to avoid being hit, kicked, thrown, or verbally abused. As you can imagine, his anger was impossible to escape. More often than not, and I was physically abused in addition to the emotional and mental abuse. Any positive experiences? Both my parents divorced when I was four, and I had to live with my mentally ill mother for many years, and now as an adult, I do not speak to her due to her negligence and unhealthy treatment of me. My father, however, I have somehow been able to look past his abuse, and once I moved out as a teenager, I've had a mostly okay relationship with, past his dismissal of my emotions and mental health. My feelings are definitely complicated concerning both of my parents, nonetheless. Darkest Thoughts The many years of suppressing my childhood traumas have unsurprisingly left me chronically anxious and depressed, the result of which leaves me imagining all the ways I could end my life, many times by daydreaming about my own body hanging from various places around my home. I often think about suicide as a means to finally show those people in my life that my pain is actually valid and unrelenting most days darkest secrets. I pick up my skin to relieve stress and have many scars that I have to hide all over my body. Sexual fantasy is most powerful to you. Being choked, scratched, hair pulled, whipped, anally stimulated, etc. All things that inflict a little pain to take me out of the present moment sex has been something i've used as an adolescent and adult to feel loved by a male partner though none of them have actually cared about me or my well-being past getting their own rocks off deep down though i really just want someone who will be a gentle sensitive lover towards me what if anything would you like to say to someone you haven't been able to nothing i've learned that trying to express myself towards my abusers produces no positive result only further shame and anxiety what do you wish for someone trustworthy to care about me as much as i have towards others and this is going to sound like a cliche but it starts with you treating yourself like you are looking someone else to treat you i don't know if that was grammatically correct but Being nice to ourselves, protecting ourselves, caring for ourselves, cutting toxic people out of our lives, finding out what is healthy and what's unhealthy through support groups or therapy, reading books. That's that's where it starts because then we have something to compare. We have a baseline of healthiness. So when we do consider getting into a relationship with somebody, we're not made crazy by going uh, I want to leave, but is is that me just running? Or is that me, in a healthy way, saying this is not the right relationship for me? And there's so many other ways that that self-compassion and self-care help our lives. Uh, have you shared these feelings with others? Yes, my friends are compassionate and try to be there for me, though many of them do don't know how to be or aren't emotionally intelligent enough to be good at it. How do you feel after writing these things down? Mm-hmm. numb. Uh, I'm sending you a lot of a lot of love and and good vibes. That is hell. That shit that you went through. But you can recover. You absolutely can recover. It takes a lot of work, but it's worth it. This is an email I got from Igor Kalinsky, and he writes, Dear Sir, Madam, we are a direct representative of major refineries in Russia. We can meet your demand for LNG, LPG, Mazut, D2, D6, Pet coke, and Jet A1. Are very dependable end seller slash refineries are able to supply within a very short period of time after the signing of hard copies. Please contact us for further negotiations. Well, I was when I first read this, I thought, Igor, you motherfucker, you know me. You know that I am way overstocked on LNG. You were here for the barbecue when I used LPG to cook the hamburgers, cause I got it coming out of my ass. I had to put my car up on blocks, and guess what I used? Four barrels of mizzute. My couch is now a recliner. That's right, one foot up on D2, the other on D6. And I have no idea what pet coke is, but it sounds fun. Send as much as possible, as soon as possible. This is a racism survey filled out by Chanel Nicole. And she is female in her 30s, is um, African-American. She writes, I was one of four black children in my grade at a predominantly white parochial school. My earliest vivid memory of racism started in kindergarten when I was taught that I would now have to keep my hair straight from this point forward if I wanted to be treated nice by the teachers. Adding to the complexity of my kindergarten rite of passage was the rule that I was absolutely forbidden to talk about my bio-mom. My stepmom is Asian, and she would be my newly reassigned bio-mom. The reason behind this would be that I would be treated better by the administration if they thought I was biracial. I remember the whispers and stares of the other kids when I showed up with my stepmother. It finally took one full school year of the whispers to become taunts. I remember my hood being snatched off of my coat during recess and tossed around almost and tossed around almost the other kids and crying because my ears were so cold. I think there's a typo in there. Then my cold ears would be flicked while they shouted, ha ha, and then there's a derogatory word there that I'm not going to read, but it's for somebody who is half Chinese, half uh, African American. Uh, It was explained away by the administration that this is an insect, not a slur. Uh, And the word is chigger. Therefore, a light scolding was given to my perpetrator and the incident was forgotten. How the fuck could they say that? As if that is what those taunts were intended to be. Do you remember how you felt when it happened? Unheard, defiant. I began acting out by towing the line of all the rules and questioning authority. I was student body VP, but also cut school to hang out with the black kids at the local public high school. I was stuck in between two worlds. How do you feel about it now? I unfriended every person from that school on Facebook. I attended attended this school from kindergarten through 12, so this was a big part of my formative years. Prior to unfriending everyone, I let bygones be bygones, attending my 10-year high school reunion. About 30 minutes into attendance, I was asked by a classmate, in the same breath, if my hair was real and I still enjoyed listening to gangster rap music. Any thoughts or feelings you'd like to share? It's tough showing up as visibly black but being raised in a culture that discourages blackness i'm not truly biracial but i do empathize with some of the cultural confusion i'm so sorry that you had to experience that that you know i was i was recalling and bear with me on this, because on the surface, this sounds like, white guy, what the fuck are you talking about? When I was, I don't know, like maybe 11 years old, I had had a surgery, and the season for football, my grade school football team, started without me. And so I wasn't there on the day that they gave equipment out. But one of the things I would gotten for Christmas was I wanted – uh, Chicago Bears football equipment: The helmet, the shoulder pads, the pants with the pads in them, the, you know, the whole nine yards. Well, they, my parents told me that they were out of them, and so they bought me the football uniform of one of the conference rivals, the Minnesota Vikings. I was still kind of happy that I, I had football equipment, and so I, the first day I was able post surgery to go to this practice, I showed up in my Minnesota Viking. Uniform, and all excited to start and be welcomed in. And the coach just looked at me and he said, you can't practice in that. And then he just turned around and ignored me. And he said, you can't practice. You're, you know, it just kind of dismissed me away. And I felt so stupid. I, I just stood there feeling so separate from everybody else. And I couldn't bear... The thought of standing there for two more hours, so I walked walked the whatever it was three miles home in my stupid football uniform, sobbing, walking down the sidewalk. I don't know. If, I don't remember ever crying that hard, and I remember kind of thinking to myself, "Why are you crying so much?" And the point of all of this is is when I got home, I was able to take off my football uniform and mix back into the flow of society and i can't imagine what it is like not being able to take the thing off that people are shaming you for and distancing themselves from you for and that's not to say that you would want to take that off but hopefully you know where i'm coming from This is an awfulsome moment filled out by Heather, 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 and she writes, I bought my boyfriend one of those just because cards and was keeping it around until I had a chance to leave it somewhere for him uh, to be surprised by. One morning I had a very early shift and was leaving before he got up, so I decided it would be a good time to leave it out for him, imagining him finding it when he got up. I filled out the card with a few extra sentiments, wrote his name on the envelope, and left it propped up on the kitchen counter. As I walked away, I was horror-struck. He would see the envelope and think it was a suicide note. I stood there for a minute debating. No, I reminded myself over and over. Most people don't see an envelope with their name on it and think suicide. To them, a card is just a card. That is so... (laughs) Fucked up and awesome. Thank you for that. This is a shame and secret survey, and this is filled out by a guy who calls himself Scab. He identifies as gay. He's in his 20s. He was raised in a pretty dysfunctional environment. He was the victim of sexual abuse and never reported it. He writes, I was raped in a bathroom when I was 14 while I was skipping school. He took pics. And being secretly gay in a small time, small town, I was too ashamed to tell anyone. It took me 15 years to finally realize the rape didn't make me gay. He's also been emotionally abused. After I came out as gay, I've dealt with a lot from being called... Uh, I, I don't know whether or not to say the word when I read this in this in, in the, the survey... Um, when when it's somebody else saying it, but um, I'm just going to say I've dealt with a lot from being called fag to being hit to being gang-bashed by a group of classmates using steel star pickets as weapons. By the way, I would like your feedback, uh, listeners, on uh, especially people from the uh, LGBTQ community, how you feel about uh, somebody reading that word when they're quoting somebody uh, who said something abusive. Over a decade later and I can still see some of my injuries. My mental health was never the same again and I can't trust many people. Any positive experiences? Yes, it made me wonder over the years if I asked for it. Even though I'm aware it's their actions and fault, the thought still crosses my mind. Darkest thoughts, two come to mind. First involved murder. Second, I somewhat acted on. I attempted to plan my own funeral so my family wouldn't have to. Darkest Secrets. I stalk my rapist. Nothing too serious. I post him vague threats. I know what you are. I know what you did. I'm always watching. Sexual Fantasies, most powerful to you. My fantasies never go sexual, just intimate, like kissing and cuddling. As a male, I often lie about them. What, if anything, would you like to say to someone you haven't been able to? To my father. I'd just like to ask why he changed, because I didn't. That's pretty profound. What, if anything, do you wish for? Love. Have you shared these things with others? No, my life is dark and depressing, and I've witnessed so much sadness in the world. I shouldn't add to it. To me, that would not be adding to it. That would be you letting go of it and allowing positivity and love, which you crave, into your life. And you'll never know how healing a good support group would be until you take that leap. And I really hope you do. How do you feel after writing things down? It took me two hours to word that this right, but I feel an odd relief. Anything you'd like to share with someone who shares your thoughts or experiences, find something that reminds you of purity in this world. I found children. I work in child care. Watching kids play and learn reminds me to give life another chance. That's so beautiful. Thank you for that, man. You went went deep. This is an awfulsome moment filled out by a woman who calls herself totally fine. And she writes, Shortly after I returned from being hospitalized for suicidal ideation and self-harm, my mom bought me a set of steak knives for my birthday. I don't think she thought it through, but I do chuckle at the possible implications of this gesture. Wow. Wow. Thank you for that. This is from the racism survey filled out by an African-American woman who is in her 20s and refers to herself as not your Oreo. And she writes, I was one of the few black students in my small private high school. I heard a number of microaggressions over the four years there. I would either laugh or just walk away. For some reason during my junior year, I'd had enough. I can't remember exactly how we got to this point, but I remember being in my English literature class and something from the book we were reading triggered a discussion. I made a comment, and one male student said, See, you're not really black. To say I went off would be an understatement. I couldn't be silent anymore. Surprisingly, my teacher allowed me to rant uninterrupted about races, stereotypes, and the erasure of my heritage. I may be enrolled in a mostly white school, but that doesn't take away from my blackness. When I leave school, I'm black, and when I return to school, I'm black. Do you remember how you felt when it happened? Extremely frustrated. Especially since most of the students were the sons and daughters of lawyers, judges, and others in law enforcement and politics. The school was located between the courthouse, city hall, and sheriff's department. Many dropped their kids off before heading to work. If their kids had racist ideas, then I wonder what their parents think. How do you feel about it now? I think I'm numb to it now because I've experienced more of life. At the time, it was the worst thing ever but now i shrug about it thank you for that thank you i can't imagine i can't imagine this is from the love survey filled out by and you know what we're going to we're going to end on this one um this as i said this is from the love survey this is filled out by Somebody who refers to themselves as the crushed crusher, and they write, "I love when all four of my animals want to cuddle with me at the same time. Oh, that has got to be awesome! I suppose it depends (laughs) on what the animals are. If it's you know, uh, a gerbil, an elephant, and a giraffe, and a hippopotamus, that might be a little unwieldy. I love when my therapist pauses." Uh, pauses me in the middle of a story to point out how I have made progress. I love eating a Popsicle in bed while watching Netflix with the lights off. I love when I realize that I don't have to worry about not having enough money to pay a bill anymore. I love driving home from work. Oh, that's such a great, simple one. That's like a mini version of walking out of school uh, the last day of school. Getting ready for summer vacation. I love when I walk into an Al Anon or Alateen meeting and people smile at me and call me by my name. I love when people older than me ask me for my opinion. I love when I pay rent because it's a relief to not live with my parents anymore. I love getting a big hug from my nine year old brother who is usually in a constant state of anger. And I love when my anxiety and meticulous planning works in my favor that's awesome the superpower the catastrophizing brain when it when it works out that is that is always nice thank you guys so much for for all of those and uh, I am taking the month of July off so I will be rerunning um, best of episodes from the uh, first two years of the podcast uh, and enjoy the difference (laughs) in how quickly I speak almost sounds like I'm on amphetamines. Uh, Back then, I spoke so quickly. Uh, I kind of miss that. I miss my brain. Just the words coming immediately instead of sometimes two or three seconds pausing, trying to think of the word that I want to say. But anyway... Uh, I hope you enjoy those episodes. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And if you're out there and you're feeling stuck, there is there is help. There are people out there that want you to be a part of their community. It's just a matter of trying to find them. And that's the, that's the scariest part. But once you do it and you start to build that that family, that emotionally supportive family, it's amazing. It's amazing. And it can change your life. It changed mine. And I'm glad I stuck around to do it. So just remember, you're not alone. And thanks for listening. Everybody
1: I know is bizarrely beautiful. Everybody I know is bizarrely beautifully fucked up in some weird way.